Good afternoon, everybody. We're very glad to have George Warren with us today. He is the Integrated Water Management Lead at Anglian Water Services, the water company that deals with the east of England. Today, George is agreed to talk to us for a podcast about the whole idea of how we can integrate sustainable drainage into our urban areas. As many of our urban towns and, and cities are struggling with the capacity within their drainage network to cope with these increased rains um, events, these exceedance events. So good afternoon, George, and thank you for coming to speak to us today. Thank you very much for the invitation, Howard. Um, now, we've worked with George for a number of years. Um, previously, he was at the GLA and at Hammersmith and Fulham. And we found um, George as very um, thoughtful about how we can get these sustainable drainage features uh, both retrofitted and into new sites. We worked with him on some very interesting schemes at the London Borough of Hammersmith and Fulham. And I, I think those schemes are, as they're maturing, they're really working well. Is that what you found, George? I believe so, actually. Uh, I've certainly seen images to suggest as such. Uh, I, I seem to recall uh, one set of tree pits on Goldhawk Road, which um, shortly after leaving Hammersmith and Fulham for the GLA, I believe uh, a another water company that operates in the region's uh, mains burst. Um, and although these uh, Suds tree pits weren't necessarily designed for a mains water burst, uh, flooding event and more surface water, they actually held up really well and helped uh, reduce the amount of flooding that would have occurred there otherwise. So who knew um, it could also provide that kind of service um, in those events. So yeah, my understanding is those tree pits have performed exceptionally well over the course of the years and uh, and other such interventions that we've been involved in, such as Kenmore Gardens and, and others along the, uh, along the way. That's really great. And we also worked with um, the GLA on the installation of the Marylebone High Street area, um, rain gardens and tree pits. There's, a, I think there's an eight or nine of them, small interventions, which seem to be working really well. And they're quite attractive as well to look at. Yeah. But what, we, what we're finding when we're talking particularly to developers and designers is the issue of adoption. Who's going to take responsibility for these elements? So we thought we might just title this little talk Options for Adoption and because it's quite a topical subject. Now, when you were working at Hammersmith and Fulham, the water company there, were they actually taking responsibility or did it remain in Hammersmith and Fulham's responsibility for those small features? Probably fair to point out that as so I, I left Hammerson Fulham in 2017 before any um, such guidance came out around uh, the DCG as it's known or what was sewers for adoption um, eighth edition. So now uh, at the point at which I left Hammerson Fulham, uh, they were all under the ownership and operation of the local authority, the highways department in that, that sense. Uh, so no, uh, Thames Water hadn't taken adoption of it. Um, certainly when we were, uh, we we were engaged with uh, Thames Water in delivering a number of schemes across Counters Creek catchment there, um, and all of them were adopted by the local authority post completion. Um, uh, there was there were agreements in place and um, to in order to do such, but I don't believe at that point. And you correct me if I'm wrong, but I think uh, Thames Water have taken a start at the present time of not adopting um, large suds interventions. Um, I mean, adoption is is an issue and, and I think you and I both know it's used on numerous occasions as being the big barrier 
to Sud's delivery. I think uh, where there is a desire, there's always a way of doing it. Um, and I think that there is there's probably a hesitancy of local authorities to adopt uh, interventions, you know, Sud's interventions, mainly because of the lack of understanding of them um, and the setup. I think you soon see when when local authorities have delved into delivering uh, suds and they've got a few under their belt, they start to deliver more and more as they they realise that actually maybe some of the perceptions they had of maintaining them aren't quite as bad as maybe first thought. Um, and it's a case of you know it becomes more efficient the more you've got. You have a greater understanding of maintaining these. You know, ultimately, it, revi it involves a bit of green infrastructure maintenance and a bit of grey infrastructure maintenance. So, you know, maybe the planting uh, needs to is is often best maintained maybe by the parks department um, if it's a standard uh, framework. Or and then the the grey infrastructure may continue to be through the drainage elements such as the old gully cleansing teams. Um, you know, and it does require the mix, and that's where the issues lie. You, you, you don't tend to get the change back for removing a gully. Uh, I, you know, remove a, uh, half a dozen gullies along a street and uh, you don't suddenly get a reduction in your framework contract costs for that. Um, and you, but yet, and you also don't get that reduction on the grey space that previously was there that you used to have to sweep. Um, but you do suddenly get an uplift on the, uh, the amount of, of grass that you have to cut or, you know, um, green infrastructure that you have to maintain. And that's, I think, where the issues lie. Um, Okay. That's really, yeah, it's really interesting. And, and you've, you've talked about this sewers for adoption seven now changing to DCG. What's the main difference in that area? So um, the DCG is basically um, was brought about Water UK um, lobbied hard to to bring this in, and and it allows for water companies to adopt suds where they are considered to be sewers, um, and that's that's kind of. It's a key point and a bone of contention, I believe, across some of the water companies. Um, basically, the suds that perform a function from a, from a conveyance perspective um, and that aren't serving just a single property. Um, and unfortunately, it does discount the, the ability for purely draining of highways. Um, so there are certain criteria around what can and can't be adopted. Um, this only, came, I mean, bear in mind, this has only really been enacted over the last 18 months. Um, and so the kind of schemes that we're talking about are probably coming into fruition now, you know, there in terms of being adopted or being maintained at the present time. Um, and it's, it's fair to say that it's not, it's not mandatory, you know, um, they don't, uh, schemes don't have to offer their art for adoption uh, to a water company. And, and I think initially there was some, maybe some hesitancy around that. And this whole sort of breaking of not for a single property. So things like blue green roofs, which I'm a big advocate of, I can't be adopted through that. Uh, things that are purely taking the drainage off a highway can't be adopted through this. And so you end up with this kind of a bitty approach, which probably isn't quite what we had in mind when, when writing the Flood and Water Management Act, I imagine, um, back in the day. Um, so yeah, it's it 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 certainly opens up the ability. Uh, for adoption and we're seeing several you know lots of them coming through at the minute but very few of them have come to the maturity of having finished construction and, and are there for us to take up that's that's very interesting but do you think as over time that we're going to see the the water companies like we are seeing the local authorities beginning to say okay it's not as scary as we thought uh, i think so and i say that with hesitancy only because i 
I'm very hopeful that this review of Schedule 3 might put an end to or this grey area at the present time. Maybe that's good, you know, wishful thinking, but, um, you know, Schedule 3 would, and if enacted and uh, a SAB created, I think that would uh, ostensibly remove the need for that adoption aspect from the water company. Um, this is basically being there to try and plug a gap um, because it's, you know, it was obvious that there, there was no uh, body that was able to take this on. Um, uh, so I, I believe if Schedule 3 were to come in, then I think the water companies, if not necessarily designated as that SAB, then would would uh, pull back. Um, but I think, you know, going forward, um, if nothing comes about from this review that DEFRA are undertaking, which uh, I would say we're, we really do welcome um, and are feeding into quite heavily as an organisation, you know, Water UK are uh, too. So, um, yeah, if it, if it doesn't lead to anything, sadly, I think that we still we will be taking on uh, more and more. And I think it's that class, as I go back to, the more that you learn from it, the more you the experience you gain from it, the less scary it gets. Um, and but there needs to be a certain amount of control of understanding of what has been designed and how it has been designed and constructed um, before you really want to take that on. Um, oh. And so getting involved from the outset, um, as in the water company being consulted from the outset on that will be key to to this. And sadly, at the minute, you're not a statutory consultee in the process um, and there is still that right to connect. And you know, whilst whilst those two things exist, it makes it very hard uh, to ensure that the that you're not coming in at the eleventh hour and almost saying, no, change this, no, tweak that. We'll only adopt it if you do this, which, quite frankly, is enough to put people off coming in the first place and going down a private management uh, route. So, I'd say that's very interesting. And so this is this Schedule 3 of the Flood and Water Management Act. This is something that will enforce SUDs on properties or developments at a certain level like they have in Wales. Is so that I, how I you mean, think it's going to work? It's an interesting word in there, Howard, of enforcing. Uh, I would suggest that there's no, no more enforcement than there currently is through the planning process. Um, that said, at the present time, it's a, you know, it's a requirement of all developments over a certain scale, i.e. pen dwellings or more or over a thousand square metres of commercial property space. Um, I believe that the threshold would be reduced down to over a single property or more. Um, and so, yes, it would be it'd be requirement on far more developments than it currently is. Um, I think what it would do is provide far more clarity you know, and, a, and a consistency. So, you know, if you've got a body that's responsible for it and it's they are literally you are consulting with them from day dot and they are the ones that ultimately will take care of it going forward. They have a vested interest in you delivering it well and working with you on the design. I think that provides a far greater function for anyone designing or delivering development. Um, but yeah, ostensibly it will be the same as we see over the border in Wales. Um, maybe some slight tweaks, and it may, may in fact, we we can certainly learn from uh, the the path that's been trodden by by our Welsh counterparts. Um, I don't believe it's been a, an easy path, but certainly they, they've done some great stuff over there, and something we can learn from. Yeah, and I'm, we've we've been very closely involved, particularly in Cardiff and the, and the learning journey they've had, and I think we can see ways that it could be improved. 
But um, the whole idea at the moment we've got in England of, of non-statutory technical standards, which sounds, if you boil it down to a wish list, but presumably that the implementation of Schedule 3 will change that. That will now become a, a far more toothy document, do you think? Uh, I would imagine there will be, I mean, you, you'll be aware of the fact that the, the non-statutory technical standards have had a review. Uh, so there's been a review of them and some advice provided uh, to, uh, to central government as to potential changes, which I believe focus in on that multifunctionality and the three other, at the minute it purely talks about quantity, basically the NSDS, um, and there are three other pillars to SUDS, which I believe are equally as important, and it brings those out more. Um, I would imagine that any enactment of Schedule 3 would probably uh, have beside it further guidance or, you know, uh, a more toothier, if we like to put it that way, NSTS than the two or three pages of, um, anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's Not really interesting. And, and as now you've kind of changed from being the poacher to the gamekeeper, you've moved over to the water company. <laughs> How do you see that Anglian Water would prefer to see this working head? Your employer now, how, how would they like to see the whole sud scheme because some of the other companies we've been talking to seven trend and they look as though they will be owning suds features they won't be just managing them or adopting they'll actually own that piece of a swale they'll own that roundabout with a with a pond in it H how do you think that's going to work for for you at anglian that's an interesting one so uh yeah it's an interesting phrase there poach keeper uh sorry uh you know gamekeeper uh i i think I, I don't think I quite treat the water company as quite so separate as that. Um, I think we are acting, certainly uh, our, our policy is such that we are acting in, in the public good and it's customers and environment before shareholders. I could definitely state that um, and that's key in our purpose. Um, but uh, I, I think in terms of, you know, SUDS going forward, we are delivering SUDS. And we have a multi-million pounds um, surface water management programme in which we'll be delivering SUDS across the region, focusing in on key areas of, of surface water flood risk and capacity within the sewer network. You know, don't get me wrong, we, we can't use customer money, which we take from their bills, that isn't helping the, the customers. So, you know, it needs to help free up capacity so that we get, get less frequency of the CSOs uh, that we're seeing, and this is all over the press, and so I won't go into too much detail of that, but, you know, and help to reduce that flood risk um, in the local area and potentially downstream. Where in terms of ownership of these, um, it's a difficult one because ultimately the land in which they will sit isn't the ownership of the water company in that respect. Um, and so how you go about ensuring that you own and, and operate them, um, I think that the likelihood is, you know, if you adopt them, you ostensibly own and operate them and maintain them throughout. Um, but a lot of the stuff that we'll be looking to do is certainly as part of this, that wouldn't necessarily be owning and operating them. It'd be working in partnership with the local authority to deliver them, to help provide that capital investment into them. Um, and whether that comes with an, uh, you know, later a commuted sum for the maintenance uh, for establishment, um, uh, or whether it, whether there is an alternative uh, arrangement put in place where where maybe the water company does take uh, take uh, maintenance ownership of those. But um, the idea, certainly at the present time, is to deliver those with a view to uh, to almost gifting them to the local authority. Don't give you know, remember that these. When SUDs are designed correctly, they aren't just about volume. 
uh, they aren't just about that uh, you know uh, that side of it it's it's actually some of the amenity biodiversity and you know and uh, aspects that that are really quite key and and those those are of benefit to the local authority as well um and so in terms of you know climate adaptation what what a great way to you know adapt to the climate by implementing these uh, these interventions on the highway or in parks or in social housing provisions and the like so um how do you you know what what better way to do it i suggest and and if if local authorities can get investment from ostensibly a, a private uh, company into these it seems like a win-win from all as far as all is concerned well thank you very much george that's very that's very very helpful um because we, as you know at green blue urban we're very keen on on mating making these suds features are truly multifunctional, maximising that biodiversity and maximising our infiltration where we can get it. So we're putting stuff, clean water back into the ground. And there's so much going on in the whole world of development and, and water use, whether that's nutrient um, neutrality or water neutrality, how we're going to get this working. In our part of the country, we've got developments held up because these high, some of these high nitrate levels. And, and I see this is becoming a, a real real moving forward industry a science-based industry where we people are going to want to deal with the water industry rather than be forced to deal with it as we come up with new and innovative solutions so yeah i, I certainly think that natural england's uh, stance on um, you know nutrient neutrality and you know i'm very aware of your region being uh, affected quite heavily over the past few years and uh, we're certainly seeing parts of of Anglin region uh, now in a position where nutrient neutrality is a requirement, um, and so yeah, I believe that you know nature-based solutions will be part of the solution for this, um, and it is key that we we don't purely look at things through a single lens. There are don't get me wrong, there, there are probably ways in which we could help to address the nutrient neutrality aspect by just dosing it with chemicals, certain elements. That's not a great solution going forward. I think that's the that should be our last our last glass. You know, we should look at all the opportunities to provide all those other benefits upstream of those works. You know, or or helping invest in other areas. You know, in agriculture and the like. So, you know, how how can we help to do that? But you know, don't get me wrong. Nutrient neutrality isn't a water company issue, but we can for uh, help provide some of those solutions. I suggest. Yeah. Well, thank you, George. I really appreciate your time. It's been great to see you and to hear you again. It's good um, to see thank, you too, Howard. Thanks for coming on. And I think that we're seeing a move within the general public realising that sustainable drainage is going to be a way through that's going to really help us in, in, in many, many areas, as you suggested, climate change, our urban biodiversity crisis and, our, and how we are going to deal with these, these issues as with a growing population and yet a limited drainage network, which is going to be very expensive to, to change. So thank you very much indeed. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Howard.